Welcome to Exercising Spirits. I'm your host, Tony Kale. Exercising Spirits is a podcast about abuse and violence amidst the culture of exorcisms, deliverance, and spiritual therapies. This week we're going to talk about part one in a two-part series on witchcraft in Africa. As we talk about witchcraft in Africa, we want to understand the perception of witchcraft and the type of fear that witchcraft creates and suspicions of witchcraft creates within the African context. Because then we're going to talk about witch hunts and the violence and abuse that we see resulting from witch hunts. For example, just this past week in areas like Malawi, near Mozambique, we have a story that comes out of the Inyasa Times on January 4th, where a witchcraft mob sought justice after an alleged witch. The story says a witchcraft mob justice victim in Malangi has died as police were rushing to rescue another woman from mob justice over the same witchcraft allegations. The woman that has died was burnt by an angry mob at Kazimbi Village on allegations that she, together with her son, killed their relation through magic. The district hospital spokesperson said that the woman, Fines Moira, died last evening while receiving treatment at the hospital. Her son is now receiving hospital at the Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital. Meanwhile, police in Dedzda rushed to a village this morning where an angry mob was stoning another woman to death on allegations of witchcraft. The mob was stoning the woman on suspicion that she recently had killed a four-year-old boy through witchcraft. The husband and children of the woman managed to escape from the mob, but the mob stormed the house of the woman and destroyed their property. Witch hunts and mob violence in relation to witch hunts are still a very real phenomenon. In order for us to understand the fear of witchcraft in the African context, we need to understand that when we speak of the word witchcraft, you are in the U.S. or Canada, you have this perception of witchcraft many times from television and pop culture. And when we talk about witchcraft in the African context, we're not talking about neo-pagan Wicca. We're not talking about what would be considered witchcraft in a, a European lens particularly when we're talking about witchcraft in Africa, uh, regions of India, uh, regions of Mexico, witchcraft almost always is associated with the concept of sorcery, that, that witchcraft is this malevolent power. It's, it's not, you know, doing love spells to bring someone together or uh, worship of a uh, benevolent goddess Witchcraft in this context is forms of destructive sorcery uh, that is believed to be able to harm people. 
in trying to understand African witchcraft, I think it's great if we can look at some of the examples of anthropological work that have been done on this particular facet of African traditional religious culture. In 1937, one of the landmark studies in African witchcraft was penned by British anthropologist E.E. Evans Pritchard. Uh, Pritchard's book, Witchcraft, Oracles, and Magic Among the Azande, uh, has been hailed as one of the greatest um, titles that focus on African witchcraft uh, from Pritchard's time spent uh, with the Azande people in Africa. The book has provided us with insight into the belief and logistics of how African witchcraft is perceived and how it functions in African society. The Azande people that Pritchard studied lived in southern Sudan and they lived in a region where there were marshes, there was uh, greenery, a lot of um, hunting and planting uh, was done to obtain substance. And in Azande beliefs, the Azande looked at witchcraft not as contradictory to natural causes. For example, you might say a tornado came and tore away some of the homes of the villagers. And that's explained by science. It's a natural phenomenon. But the concept of witchcraft didn't dismiss this. The concept of witchcraft asked, well, why did it hit us? Who sent that storm? There's a, an, an old story that's told of a, a, a British physician who was visiting Africa. And a African man said, you know, people in my village are very sick from malaria. And the physician said, well, what's happening is there are insects that are coming in and they are carrying this disease. And when they bite someone in the village, that person gets infected. And then also there are other elements in the community get affected. And so that's how this disease transfers. And the African man looked at the physician and said, okay, I understand the insect brings this sickness and the sickness is passed on to the person that the insect bites. And that sickness is passed on to people in the community as well. But my question is, who sent that insect? The Azande viewed natural phenomena as working alongside witchcraft. In fact, in the court system of the Azande, the two most heard cases in, in front of uh, the court had to do with adultery and witchcraft. And witchcraft was seen as equivalent to charges of murder because in the Azande worldview, murder and witchcraft went hand in hand. You didn't have a murder without the element of witchcraft being there. The Azande believed that witchcraft that they called mangu uh, was actually a substance in the body. It's a fascinating aspect of, of this witchcraft description. But it was a substance in the body of witches. And that some of the Azande described this substance as being like a black bag that came along the edge of the liver. And that this black bag contained different materials. Sometimes it contained seeds, uh, sometimes different materials that were used 
in witchcraft. Pritchard himself said he believed they were referring to the small intestine from the descriptions he had from people in the village. There was a belief that witchcraft could be passed from parent to child, that it was generational. This also remains a factor when we look at child witch phenomena, and we're going to talk more about that in our next episode, but this belief that it can be passed down from an adult to a child is, is a factor in this. There's also a factor that we hear about when we look at reports of attacks on children who are alleged to be child witches, that the children have the ability to send out their soul at night and to attack others. Among the Azande, there was a belief called Imbisimo Mangu. Imbisimo Mangu means the soul of witchcraft. And this was a concept where the witch was believed to send his or her soul at night to run various tasks in the village. So if they wanted to attack someone in the village, their soul could leave their body and they could attack them during the night. Their soul was also believed to emit a light coming from their soul, which some of the locals described as being much like that of the light of a firefly. Witches in the Azande context were believed to be able to send their soul to remove physical parts of their victims. In fact, the soul of witchcraft, the Imbisimo Mangu, uh, was believed to be able to attack the organs of whoever they have targeted which, with witchcraft. I'm going to read from you a description that uh, Pritchard gave regarding this uh, really ghoulish phenomenon. He said that witches usually combine in their destructive activities and their subsequent ghoulish feast. They assist each other in their crimes and arrange their nefarious schemes in concert. They possess a special kind of ointment, which rubbed into their skins renders them invisible on nocturnal expeditions. A statement which suggests that witches are sometimes thought to move in the body to attack their enemies. They also possess small drums, which are beaten to summon them to, con to Congress, where their discussions are presided over by old and experienced members of the Brotherhood for their status and leadership among men, witches. Now, let me let me stop here for a second. When we look at the phenomena of child witchcraft accusations, particularly in, in areas like uh, the Congo region, in areas of Nigeria, there are constantly allegations that the souls of children or the spirits of children are leaving their bodies at night and are meeting with Satan to congregate and attend these meetings that Satan, Satan is presiding over. Uh, a very uh, dis disturbing um, worldview as it aligns with some of the abuse and violence toward children. Um, Pritchard uh, also goes on to uh, describe the, the work uh, of these witches in the, the what they're calling the witchcraft substance. In fact, when he talks about the substance, the Azande actually had a ritual in which they would try to assess if someone had the witchcraft substance in their bodies. It's sort of a ceremonial autopsy. Listen to this. Pritchard talks about a um, an autopsy that's performed 
at the edge of the grave when someone uh, has died who is believed to have witchcraft substance in their body. He says, two lateral gashes are made in the belly and one end of the intestines is placed in a cleft branch and they are wound around it. At the other end has been severed from the body from another man, takes it and unwinds the intestines as he walks away from the man holding the cleft branch. The old men walk aside their entrails as they are stretched into the air and they examine them for this witchcraft substance. The intestines are usually replaced in the belly when the examination is finished and the corpse is buried. I've been told that if no witchcraft substance were discovered in a man's belly, his kinsmen might strike his accusers in the face with his intestines or might dry them in the sun and afterwards take them to court to boast of their victory. I've also heard that if a witchcraft substance were discovered, the accusers might take the entrails and hang them on a tree bordering one of the main paths leading to a prince's court. Very uh, disturbing descriptions there of these rituals, but definitely evidence of how serious the accusations of witchcraft are in a Zande society. One of the things that the Zande observed was a practice that's still practiced in many African uh, cultures and communities regarding the power of buried objects. There's a belief that specific medicine could be buried on someone's property to make them sick, to, to kill them. And that ritual specialists, traditional healers, and many times would be tasked with the chore of trying to find these diseased objects that may be on someone's property. In the African context, witchcraft is found by many different names and forms, according to which people groups that, that are observing this belief in witchcraft. For example, in areas like Kenya, witchcraft among the, the Lua communities uh, is called Jowuk. In the Congo, it is referred to as Kindoki. And in Zambia, there are witches known as the Bufwidi. Some witches in African communities are actually recognized as holding specific offices in the witchcraft culture. In fact, the Meru of Mount Kenya talk of the witch men who are led by a figure known as Murogi, uh, who is a professional cursor. Witches are believed to be the source of sickness and disease in many African communities. It was fascinating years ago when I was doing some coursework with a, a seminary from Africa. One of the writings concerned translation of, of uh, different African languages, and it was listing statements that were found in different African uh, communities throughout the, uh, throughout the continent. And the, one of the, the sayings was uh, the Kikongo language uh, of the uh, Bakongo people um, out of uh, Central Africa. And uh, the saying was, O Mayila Indoki, Melo Kanga, which translated in English means sickness is only caused by witches. 
Some witches are believed to be able to create misfortune. When when I was in Kenya, one of the times I was in Kenya, I was visiting with a man from the Kisi tribe, and he shared with me about a great loss in his family. There was a young girl family who had been bitten by a snake and had died as a result of the snake bite. He advised me that in his family there was a relative who was a very jealous person and very envious of this young girl's uh, immediate family. And this person was alleged to have gone to a wizard or a witch and had asked them to create misfortune in this family because of his jealousy. The father of the child said that man sent this witch and the witch summoned a snake to come to our home and bite my child and kill my child. Witches are believed to have a number of extravagant powers. Uh, one of those powers is the ability to shapeshift. You will hear of numerous reports in some African communities of human beings shape-shifting into different animals. In fact, in Liberia, in a region of Liberia, there was a man who was arrested by police after allegations that he had transformed into a baboon and had ravaged this community and terrorized several citizens. And there was a belief that he had this witchcraft power to transform into this animal. Communities that believe in witches may many times have local ritual specialists that can detect the presence of witches. In Nigeria, there is a community ritual that uses a mask-like cloth that is used to frighten witches from the community. The Indako Giboya, which means ancestor Giboya, is called upon to cleanse the community of witches. Ritual dancers from the community are covered with this cloth and they are to, they represent a ghost type figure. And this ghost performs the ceremony in which the witches are scared away utilizing this specific ritual. While I was in Kenya, I, I visited with a Mganga, a traditional healer there. And he told me of stories of where healers could sniff presence of witches. Some traditional healers will utilize systems of divination in which they speak to their ancestors and they speak to various spirits and deities regarding the presence of witches in the community and how they can stop these specific witches. One of the phenomena that we've seen evolve out of this concerns a number of the revivalist churches in Africa. Not only are traditional healers and various uh, ritual specialists in the community saying that they're able to sniff out or detect witches in the community, but now we're seeing churches that combine aspects of Pentecostal Christianity with African traditional religion ushering in a host of prophets and prophetesses that are believed to be able to identify witches in the community. We'll see, particularly when we talk in our next podcast episode, uh, part two of this series, 
of how these particular figures in these churches are being instrumental in many cases in witchcraft accusations that result in abuse and violence. Some scholars have said that the belief in witchcraft allows people to give a face to personal stresses. You know, if your family's going through sickness or, or poverty or someone in the home has lost their job, witchcraft is that scapegoat. You, you can blame it on someone or something uh, because there appears to be no other explanation in some cases. Attention is projected onto other people. And unfortunately, in many cases, this tension is projected on those members of the community that might be perceived as being weaker, including children, the elderly, and in many cases, women. The result of this scapegoating is the building of what we see in situations involving mob violence, abuse, and even murder. Now, some communities still use traditional religious and magical methods in dealing with witches. They may use amulets or charms, or they, they may have someone who creates medicines as protection from witches. And the majority of the time when this is done, there are are not issues related to abuse and violence. Some items may be placed in homes to protect the homes from witchcraft, and some materials found in homes are used as protection from witchcraft. For example, there was a student of the Marywell Institute of African Studies uh, who performed field work in the slums of Kiberia in, in Nairobi. He tells the story of how two women would cover their bodies in oil that was taken from pigskin to protect themselves from witchcraft. Sort of household uh, remedies and uh, forms of protection. Pritchard's examination of the Azande provides us with just sort of a small lens into beliefs regarding witchcraft in an African context. And from his, his work and his writings, we're able to understand the level of importance placed on concern about witchcraft. You know, we asked in the first episode, you know, are people who perform uh, witch hunts and extreme exorcisms and, and these destructive spiritual therapies that involve violence and abuse, uh, are they mentally ill? Or are they in just some cases observing cultural attitudes about a specific phenomena like witchcraft. To summarize, we do see whether you philosophically agree with or uh, theologically agree with the manner in which witches or perceptions of witches are dealt with in African communities uh, among traditional healers and among indigenous religions. We don't see the abuse and violence that we see in many cases associated with different religious organizations that have come in and are promoting theories relating to spiritual warfare, deliverance, 
combined with physical actions. There are many missionary groups, many faith-based organizations, many uh, non-governmental organizations that do provide work from a faith-based perception. And the majority of the time, these organizations aren't promoting physical violence. True enough, they may have theological beliefs that differ from indigenous religions, but there's not that element of promoting abuse and violence like we're seeing some of these groups that are today. Many of these groups that have come in, and we're going to talk about them specifically in, in our next episode, are promoting campaigns of fear. In fact, they're putting out materials, even in pop culture in many African communities, of movies, of entertainment that feature narratives related to children who are secretly witches and who meet with the devil at night and who incur all sorts of ritualized violence on the community. They're promoting these teachings through revivals and through evangelism crusades. And what they're doing is they're bringing gasoline to a volatile fire that is there. Entering a community that already has this enormous fear of witchcraft and places such a, a great value on being safe from witchcraft. And you bring in teachings regarding who can be accused of being witches. What scientifically explainable phenomena, such as a child with perhaps a, a disability or, or someone who may even have something like a, a, some sort of issue with with their their skin or having to do with or specific colors of their eyes or uh, in, in cases like we see uh, in areas like Tanzania, children born that are albino and the color of their skin uh, and how it's being perceived as the children being ghosts and being related to witchcraft in some cases and having these spiritual powers. These campaigns are bringing in the gasoline and pouring them on this fire that already exists. In our next podcast episode, we're going to look at part two of this, of looking at African witchcraft and seeing the phenomena of child witchcraft accusations. We're going to look at the role of some of these what have been termed Frankenstein churches that uh, have come in and created these campaigns of fear and violence. And we're going to look at cases involving abuse and violence related to witch hunts in Africa. My friends, once you know about it, you can't unknow it. And it is our hope uh, with this show that we continue to spread awareness of the children and mothers and grandfathers that are suffering as a result of deadly spiritual therapies such as witch hunts and these violent deliverance and exorcism sessions. I'm Tony Kale, and you've been listening to Exercising spirits. Good day and be well.